Welcome into a special edition of the Duck Territory podcast. Three-man crew today. Myself, Matt Brame, Eric Scopel is, as usual, across the way. I am here. And then to my left, Eric's right, is Alec Arend as well from DuckTerritory.com. He's an intern. Good to be on. Good to be on. (laughs) Yep. Intern number three. Intern number three. Yep. Uh, Alec recently finished up his series on the site, uh, ranking the 25 best players uh, from Oregon's football season in 2018, and I think uh, it's a, certainly a good conversation starter, and there's, I think there's going to be a lot of discussing uh, and disagreeing and agreeing uh, back and forth, and we're going to kind of break that down and just kind of look at the group as a whole, and then also kind of how many of those guys are expected back, and maybe who could be someone that didn't crack this list that should be on it next season. Um well, well, let's start 25 to 20. And when Blake Maymon, the punter, uh, Gary Baker, defensive tackle at 24, and then you had a, Alec, you had a tie at at 23 with with Dallas Warmack and, and Capra, who has since left the program. 22, there was also a tie between Breland and Bay, uh, and then 21 was uh, Jalen Red at receiver, and um, we'll go 20 and down. But before we go any further, just explain your ranking process. How did you come up with these rankings? Yeah, well, I felt the best way to compile these rankings was obviously a lot of people have ratings and stuff like that. I, I had no computer rankings or anything like that, just so everyone is aware. But I was hoping for the error system. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> what I tried to do, though, was combine the best in terms of production, the best in terms of talent, the best in terms of value, and the best in terms of the eye test. I put those four things together, and I just sort of put together a list, and I said, these are my rankings according to those sort of components. Uh, so, yeah, that was the, that was the combination. I, I, I think Blake Manning should be rated higher. Really? really? Yeah. I'm surprised but he even made the list. Well, You're because all about hunting, though. I, I'm a, such a specialty yeah, yeah, totally geek. <laughs> so, like, I was – I thought he was – I thought – okay, first off, uh, the punting game was not – Fantastic, but it was better than it's been recently, certainly. And yeah. I, I think I posted a stat afterwards that Maimon, I think, had an average over 40 yards, which I think was the first time in, like, something stupid, like eight years. I have to go back and pull the pull the, the stat up. But I, I thought he was. I thought there were games where he was a pretty big game changer. And, and I know, obviously, the play on the offensive line and, and defensive line, similar to special teams, kind of gets overlooked sometimes. But, I, I mean, I don't know if I would have – I don't know how much higher I would have put him. Probably been the same – Back five range, but like I thought he was a significant weapon, and and in terms of you know guys that could rise up the list next year, I think he's probably you know another candidate for that. And it'll be interesting to see this year. We saw Maimon and Tom Snee kind of split reps situationally. Maimon kind of came in when it was a longer field, and Snee came in for kind of directional stuff. I'll be curious to see if Maimon's able to take some strides and kind of have a full share of that next year, because certainly we saw in the situations I think he had some really impressive games. There were a couple games where he had punting averages um, you know close to fifty. Which is pretty unprecedented. Oregon's had some terrible punters yes. for the last couple of years. Maybe that's why Punning I, I, I think so highly of him. That's my deal with Mamon is that, you know, like he's been better than Oregon's punters have been in a oh, long time. But in terms of the Pac 12, how he ranks, you know, he, his 42.5 yards per punt ranked sixth in the Pac 12 this year. You know, so middle of the pack. Uh, but it, it was surprising to see Tom Snee come in. Me and you both thought that Snee would be a guy who was kind of like, I mean, we saw videos of him. Booting 50 yard punts yeah. in five second hang time, you know, we were kind of wondering how that would translate onto the football field, and 
it didn't. He didn't perform according to his videos that we saw before the season. Yeah, well, and certainly they, they, I think, determined in fall camp that Maimon was was better. Right. Kind of, we should probably switch gears and not talk. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I was talking about Blake Maimon the whole time. You got more Blake Maimon? <laughs> well, I... You got 30 minutes of Blake Maimon for y'all. <laughs> I think Brady Aleo needs to be on this list. I He's think, not. Yeah, I think that's valid, too. Um, I look at what he did in terms of playing right tackle, even playing some left tackle, um, showed his versatility, and came in and, and, and started half the year uh, in place of, well, Throckmorton went over into Sewell's spot, but then uh, <coughs> Yellow was the one that replaced Throckmorton, and I think he's probably going into his senior season as a projected starter. Maybe that's going to be one of my guys that we have on this list that's not currently. Um, I think there was a case... I, I, and I, I, I see the value in Blake Maimon, but I think there was also... Oh, you don't, you don't even want Maimon on my list. <laughs> oh, wow. But I see a value also in, in well, Brady Halo. Yeah, well, who, who else were you... Do you have a list of other guys under consideration? That didn't you know, I thought, about, I thought about guys like Brennan Schooler. I, re- I think he has a lot of value to the team. I, I thought he had a down year receiver. Right. But in terms of special that teams play, things like that. I, right. I think, and key blocker on the outside. And, yeah. and Brady Halo, he was definitely one who was there. I just sort of saw, you know, Stephen Jones got some valuable snaps this year, and I thought he just played even better than Ayo at times. Yeah. Um, and so, in terms of, if I would have put, you know, two guys in that <coughs> didn't make the list, it would have probably been Brendan Schooler or Stephen Jones. Stephen Jones is an interesting selection. Yeah, and, and I think... To, I just don't know if he played enough. In my right, mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if we... That, that we yeah, didn't he one start, I think he played in, in five games, so he didn't he didn't burn his redshirt, which was right. even... I mean, it was looked like he was certainly going to redshirt midway through the season. Um, in terms of other guys that deserve long list, I think he did a pretty good job because the only guys I'm kind of thinking are like maybe the way Samson knew played at the end of the season, he deserves some consideration, maybe. but maybe probably not. And then offensive skill position guys, like it was so like four guys with yep. all the production, it's really it would be really hard to even come up with anyone else. Obviously, Schooler you mentioned, but like I don't even know where to begin on like who else we would mention. So I, I think I think overall I agree. I think the 25 on this list. Pick or choose if you want to put in, you know, ALO sure. or, or not. But I, I think it's a pretty, it's a pretty, you know, complete list of of the top twenty five players. I really like Gary Baker. I, I yeah, I, I, I think I, he's a really valuable rotational defensive line. He is a sneaky, solid player for Oregon. I mean, typically when you think of the defensive line, the last two seasons, uh, you thought of Jalen Jelks, you thought of Jordan Scott, Austin Fialo, Henry Mondu, but. Last two years, Gary Baker started 12 games mm-hmm. for the Ducks at, you know, defensive line. And I think, or I should say three. He may have had like one or two starts as a redshirt freshman. But, yeah, I, I think he's he's going to have a lot of value for Oregon uh, next season uh, along that defensive line. He, he, he's very, very, very solid for Oregon last year. One last guy, and I can, just thinking of the defensive line, I don't think he could have been on here, but Gus Cumberlander made a lot of big plays right. the last four games. Yeah, that's, it was it was such an incomplete. It was kind of Stephen Jones, where the exactly. last four games he was great, but how much he that, value right. what he didn't do compared to what he did in a short period? And of he time. would be a guy I like as a big jumper on this I, list yeah, next year too. Yeah, I mean, he was a guy who was like. Anytime he came into the game, he was making a play yeah. where there was like a forced fumble or sack, yeah, stuff like that. But huge, huge plays at the end of the year. My question was, why wasn't he playing more? Right. You know? He, and, and again, this will be a senior year this next year. And it'll be somebody who is at least going to have an opportunity to play a much bigger role. Right. All right. Starting at number one, or number 20, uh, sophomore defensive lineman, uh, Andrew Folio, or excuse me, Austin Folio. Uh, Andrew's the younger brother. 
Uh, Austin. He would, he would be, that would be a real interesting pick. I think, I think he had one tackle and he played in three games, so that would be quite, that'd be quite the pick. Uh, this is a guy I think is going to become a future NFL player. I almost said NBA. I'm all, I'm all over the place right now. Austin? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think Austin has a chance to take another really big jump as a fresh, as a, as a junior next season and become a guy that can contend for an all-conference honor as a as a true junior. Yeah, no, I'm with you on on him. Um, and, and just I think you know one of the takeaways from the season. This is I mean a small tangent, I promise. But just the defensive line play, the depth, the fact that we yeah, established a lot four or five guys that we think should be on this list, and we haven't even gotten to Jordan Scott and, and Jalen Jokes, who are, are much higher on the list. Um, sort of speaks to the way that developed because coming into the year, it was like they've got three guys we think are good, and then we really don't know. And I think. The depth that developed this season, obviously adding um, Kayvon Thibodeau and a couple of those other you know prep defensive linemen, I think the sky is pretty high for for this position group going into the 2019 season. And I should say with Austin Fellu and, and and Jake Hansen, who's next on the list, the reason I, I sort of placed them where they did, or I guess Fellu in specific, he was just injured, you know, yeah. like and I, I, he would have easily been in the top 15 at least if he had played a full season. Um, as you just said, Jake Hansen. Uh, is number 19 in this ranking done by Alec. Um, interesting season for him yeah. because I think going in, everyone viewed Hanson probably um, as number one or at very worst number two uh, along the offensive line for, for his position group uh, at Oregon. Uh, many viewed him as one of the best centers in the conference and in the country. He was on multiple uh, watch list awards. And I I don't know if necessarily he got significantly worse, but I think the guys around him on the offensive line got significantly better in their junior seasons than he did. And that maybe overshadowed his play a little bit and made him seem maybe not not as good. Um, But I think he... I'm looking for it right now. Pro Football Focus, I think, said he was like the second or third best Pro Football uh, Focus center. loved Oregon's offensive lines. Because yeah, yeah. I think we just saw this uh, recently. I think in the Pac-12, Oregon had the highest rated and the third highest rated offensive tackle. And I think Shane Lemieux was the highest rated guard. So yeah, He, he checks in out second with a 71.3 ranking from in the Pac-12. PFF in the Pac-12. So, yeah. Nick Harris at UW had the highest of 77.6. Now, my only question then becomes so does the conference have a down year at center because those aren't necessarily super yeah, high gaudy low. numbers. Well, another thing with Hanson I wonder and is I think the way that Washington State game started was probably and he had a couple of other snapping issues, obviously the Stanford game that yep. stands out, but he had these big milestone moments where he made mistakes. I think he was pretty consistent snapping the ball, but you could point to two or three different moments this season where the fact that he didn't snap it well Cost Oregon significantly, and I do think that probably help, you know, impacts. I'm not speaking for Alec, but for me, at least my perception of, of where he should be ranked. Right, well, like you mentioned, there were times during the season it was just like two or three, maybe four times yeah, where it wasn't all that frequent. He had bad plays that really changed the momentum of games. I mean, you look at that Washington State game; those snaps, like those, that that cost Oregon that first half momentum, and we saw what happened there. Uh, I, I would say, like you were saying, Matt, you know, just the guys ahead of him. Yeah. Just outperformed him, but you know, yeah, you look at that group, that junior class going into their senior year. Uh, you really thought freshman year, Jake Hansen was going to be the guy moving forward. 
um, mm-hmm. as the best. So it's been some surprising, but also a positive I for think, Oregon. I think it's other guys mostly are, because the guys around him have kind of elevated their game. Right. Uh, just to be clarified here, uh, PFF ranked Hanson 71.3, which was second best in the conference, in the Pac-12. The number one center in the country was Tyler uh, Biedes from Wisconsin with an 89.7. And then the second highest center uh, is Garrett Bradbury out of NC State, and he had an 82.9. So He's significantly lower. Significantly lower, and and it's basically across the board, not just at Oregon. It's everybody in the Pac-12. To not even have one guy in in the 80s is pretty telling. I think of the center position group uh, for for the conference. Now, uh, number 18 is Lamar Winston, and I, I think Winston's a guy that we all would expect to have a really big year next season now that Justin Hollins is gone, who's going to be much further down this list uh, and opportunities there for him. Um, I, I like Lamar Winston. I think he's a fun player. I don't know if I would have had him that high, personally. 18? I don't know. I might have had him. He would have been prob- – he would have probably been in – 23-24 for me. I, I think he was a regular starter. And again, I think he, he provides a lot of stuff. He's probably my favorite person on the team to talk to. Like, he's, he's a great interview. He finished 11th in the, ta- in, in the team in tackles with 40, four and a half tackles for loss. Which the production was wasn't great. He had some some big plays. Obviously, the Cal scooping score um, comes to mind. But um, he also, I think... He, he did was, lead the team in qu- quarterback hurries, though. There you go. Well, and, and I think that's where his... And again, the, the, the sack numbers as a whole really went down the middle part of the season. I was just looking at this the other day for our um, position reviews. But I think Oregon had like three or maybe it was four or more sacks like each of the first five games. And then they had like five games in the middle where they had no sacks. And Winston, I think, was... Or very few sacks, like one or fewer in those games. And, and Winston was one of the guys who had previously been kind of a, a guy who could get up to the quarterback and really didn't show up as well in those games. But I, I, I think he's got a big ceiling. I also think there's some really talented true freshmen coming yeah. in that are going to potentially push him for, for some playing time, and, and we don't know exactly how DJ Johnson and uh, and Kayvon Tibbet are going to be equipped. Um, so I think he'll have a, he's a guy who, who could be a great senior player or right. because of the talent around him could get him pushed a little off the side. Well, that's where I kind of stand with him is, yeah, what's his ceiling for next season? I mean, is he going to be one of the leaders of the defense with all these seniors leaving? And him and Troy Dye are kind of the leaders of the defense. Or is he going to be pushed, like you said, from some true freshmen, really talented, really talented true freshman linebackers? My my thing with Lamar Winston is he just kind of reminds me of a more consistent Gus Cumberlander in the fact where he can – there was moments where he really changed the momentum of games on the defensive side and made some big-time plays like that, scoop and score and Cal. Right. Um, and like you said, a lot of quarterback hurries, which – I'd actually be really interest, interested to go see those quarterback hurries and see if those led to interceptions or turnovers, things like that. Uh, but uh, I, I thought that, yeah, he was a more consistent Gus Cumberlander type player. Um, it'll be really interesting to see what he does next season. Travis Dye, the true freshman running back. A guy I think maybe when he signed, many people felt, oh, that's just Troy Dye's Troy younger brother. He's going to have to redshirt. He's going to have to wait his time. He probably won't really be a, a significant contributor for Oregon until his junior, maybe even his senior season at Oregon. And he blew all those expectations out of the water, showing up in spring football and, and looking impressive and kind of parlaying that early enrollee aspect of things into early playing time for the Ducks. Finished second on the team in uh, rushing yards with 739 and four rushing touchdowns. He also had uh, 12 catches for 69 yards and one touchdown. He was first on the team. If if you have uh, fifty, if you have sixty or more carries in a, in the season, he's first on the team in 
yards per carry at 5.3, which is just three tenths higher than CJ Verdell, which also the 5.3 ranks him in the top 10 in the conference for average yards per carry. So I, I think this is a guy that, whether we were expecting it or not, looks to be a pretty formal player moving forward for I'm, Oregon. I'm super intrigued by what the future holds for him because I think he can put on like 20 pounds of, of weight or like at least 15. Like he, he's he's playing, <clears throat> he plays and his body looks like he's still in high school right now. Yeah. And I think that'll catch up. I mean, look at, obviously Troy isn't the biggest guy in the world, but he's a big physical guy. I think Travis can get there. And he's got great vision. He's got, I think, deceptively quick feet. And he's, again, and probably deceptively good just finishing speed. I, I think I, I'm pretty high on him. And, again, interesting, like Lamar Winston, a guy who's going to be pushed a little bit by, you know, Sean Dollars who's coming in and Jay yeah. Wilson are coming in. So it'll be interesting to see kind of what his role looks like going forward. But I certainly think you saw, especially in that Oregon State game, that the future at running back with both Verdell and Dye going off like that, as true as well, both are freshmen running backs, uh, pretty, pretty have to be pretty excited about kind of the future of that position group. I, I like you said. I, I wonder how Oregon's going to want to use him moving forward. I mean, because yeah. Verdell and, and Travis Dark, two completely different running backs. Verdell, of course, has that downhill, more powerful drag guys type of style, and Travis Dye, you know, he has the jump cut, he has the spin. You know, I mean, he has that deceptive speed and footwork. So, will Oregon want him to put on weight to try to become more of a powerful runner, or will they want him to sort of maybe just put on five to ten pounds, fill out his you know freshman frame to sophomore? Um, and, and uh, yeah, I'll be really interested to see how they use him and, and if he's as productive as he was this season, next season. Uh, checking in in Alex's list at number 16 is a guy I'm, I admit, I'm hot and cold on him. I'm not quite sure how to gauge this ranking because I'm just, I don't know yet. So it's Nick Pickett. So yeah, it's Nick Pickett. His production was actually like, Shockingly good when I was looking at it. I think he was like, what, fifth in the team in tackles or something like that? He's fourth on the team in tackles with 59. Uh, he had one interception, three pass breakups, one forced fumble. But the, but the thing is, he's fourth in tackles, but I don't remember a game, like a signature yeah. Nick Pickett right. game where yeah. I was like, oh wow, he really made a huge, and, and I'm not saying he didn't make big plays in games because he certainly did, but I'd have to rack my brain to go like, oh yeah, that UCLA game, man, he was just bringing it that game. He had 34 unassisted tackles and 25 assisted. I mean, it, but like you, like you said, there there wasn't that one moment where it's like, bam, that totally. Pickett was everywhere. He made you know you, he was the difference in the game. Yeah, I think that speaks maybe towards just his overall consistency, though. Of, of yeah, you know what you're going to get out of Nick Pickett every single and, game. And I think he he and Holland actually are kind of a nice pairing together because Holland is excellent in coverage. Yes, and he's coming up on this list as well. Love the team in interceptions was second in the Pac-12, whereas Pickett. Not as good in coverage, but significantly better uh, as a tackler. I think if you watched Holland this year, uh, he had a number of times where he whiffed on plays, especially early on in the season, that Stanford game in particular, where he just kind of got beaten up a little bit. Um, but I think a pairing of Holland and Pickett at safety going forward is pretty interesting. I'd be interested to see what a guy like Steve Stephen has to say, even a guy like Triquest Bridges, um, the freshman of Alabama, has to say in terms of that co- competition. But um, it's worth mentioning that Three out of our top 16 players in this list all play safety, and I don't disagree with any of their ranking or any of their placement. Obviously, we've got the other two coming up, but I, I think Pickett at 16 feels about right to me. I think safety is sometimes a hard position to judge because, you know, you have guys like Javon Holland, Ugo Amadi, more flashy playmaker-type safeties. Yeah. Those are the ones who get all the love, and then you guys have guys like Nick Pickett who do their job. They're sure tacklers, but they're not as flashy, right? And 
I really like Pickett because he's kind of one of the players on the defense who kind of lay the boom. You know, like sure. he, he can hit guys. And like he, he, I remember a few times this season where guys were slow to get up after he just. And I don't see that's the thing. I don't even that doesn't compute for me. Maybe I'm maybe I'm just missing plays, but right. I, I don't I don't remember a signature hit he had this season. And I know I know that is his reputation, but I just don't don't remember one. Checking in at number fifteen, Diomede Lenore, sophomore cornerback for the Ducks, the guy that really came on strong. Uh, this season for Oregon after um, spending last year as a true freshman, kind of finding his way, finding his groove, figuring out where uh, he fits within the defense. Uh, I, I believe Lenore started every single game for the Ducks. He played in all 13 games last year for Oregon, but didn't have a single start uh, for the Ducks and had played just 299 snaps as a freshman. Uh, don't have a snap totals yet for Oregon, but... Uh, he hardly ever came off the field and was was a very standout, solid cornerback uh, for the Ducks. Finished uh, this the season with 52 tackles, uh, three interceptions for 14 yards, and nine pass breakups. I think uh, some of Oregon's concerns at cornerback going into the year were overcome by the play of Lenore. Yeah, I thought he was a pretty pleasant surprise. I, I know you go back and watch the Stanford game and there were some moments that weren't great there. And I think the same thing you could say probably about Washington state and Arizona, but um, overall I thought he played pretty well and it was crucial that he and Thomas Graham were able to stay on the field because I just, I just wrote my position in review uh, this morning on uh, Wednesday on the secondary. And if Lenore or Graham, either one went down, they would have been looking at Califf Halisi or yeah. Hockey Woods right. or maybe Farrell McKinley to come in. So those guys' durability, to me, almost lifts them up this list. I might even have Lenore a little higher. I'm not sure who I'd bump. I'd have to take a closer look just because he was pretty invaluable. If he had gone down, the drop-off from him to player B, whether it would be Woods, whether it would be um, Halisi or, or uh, McKinley, would have been more significant than a lot of different spots on this, on this, on this list. Yeah, I mean... I kind of wonder who has a higher ceiling, Thomas Graham or Diamondor Lenore, because I, I think Lenore is a more physical corner. Yeah, I think he's a better tackler. I I, I don't know who exactly would be better in coverage. I, I don't know if I saw. I've seen enough. I, I mean, what what do you guys think? I th- I think Graham made a lot more a lot more plays in the ball. I don't know the pass breakup numbers, but I think he had about twice as many. I think oh, yeah, yeah. he had oh. he had eighteen pass breakups, yeah. and he was I think Graham was second in the Pac twelve. I, I looked at this. Yesterday, um, in pass breakups with 18, um, I, I I thought and and I think like six or seven came against Nikhil Harry in Arizona State. Right. We'll talk more about Graham later, but yeah. that was sort of the signature game where I, you I know you we, you have him ranked pretty high, and I would probably not I would have hesitated if not for that signature game, which Lenore also had. We should mention some big plays uh, against the Sun Devils. Um, I probably would still go Graham just from a production perspective. I think the ceiling question is interesting because we would all recall that. Lenore was the high-rated prospect. Yeah, right. I, I I think they're pretty similar, to be I honest. And I don't mean to take the, the easy way out and not pick one, but I think uh, both players are going to be that. I don't know if they'll ever be a first-team, all-conference, all-American caliber type of a guy, but I certainly think that both Graham and Lenore should be and probably will end up being at some point a uh, third-team all-conference, a second-team all-conference Maybe one of them gets on onto a first team, but uh, very, very, very good, solid corners at the collegiate level for Oregon. Now, number fourteen is a guy I personally think is underrated, um, and that's freshman running back C.J. Verdell. Uh, very, very solid season uh, for the freshman who almost played last year as a true freshman. 
but an injury forced him out, um, and he was forced to redshirt for the year, and he, he came on strong. He had 1,018 yards rushing, 10 touchdowns, <clears throat> excuse me, on 202 carries, averaged 78 yards per game, and was a player that I quite honestly did not expect to be a very big option in the passing game, and finished on the team uh, with 27 tackles, third mo- uh, 27 receptions, third most for 315 yards and two more scores. Uh, very, very good player for Oregon. I think a, a stable back to start things off. So, so I, I also did rankings after the regular season, and this is the first player that was. I only did ten. I only did a top ten list, and this is the first player that popped up on my top ten list. So I had him ninth. I agree. I think he should probably. To me, he's a little bit more valuable than that. I think his ability in the passing game, and it'll be interesting to see now with we mentioned the running backs that are coming in here if. Maybe Verdell becomes more of a third down back. His ability to be able to catch the ball out of the backfield. Yeah. I agree. I didn't, I didn't expect that out of him, but that was, he was clearly the best and at least most equipped on this team to do it. I don't, I can't even think of that many drops he's had. You know, and, and you, you think about this season and the receiving core and, and how that was such a, I don't think he dropped a any big balls. part of the thing. I don't remember him, and maybe he had a one or two, but one it, or it two. was very few. He was, he was quite a reliable target out of the backfield, and it seemed like most of the time, what was his yards per catch? Close to eight or nine or something like that, right? Yeah, Verdell had 11.7 11. yards per reception. That's great for running back out of the backfield. So uh, he, he, to me, is, is very valuable. And, again, I think the running back position is going to be fascinating the next couple of years because they're going to have three to four guys that all bring different things to the table. Obviously, we've seen what Verdell and, and, uh, and Travis Dye bring to the table, but Sean Dollar is also very versatile. I think there's going to be it's going to be a fun backfield. I think they're going to utilize all of them in different ways. Yeah, my, my reason for ranking C.J. Verdell 14th was – you know, you just look at, and maybe it's unfair to compare former Oregon running backs, but sure. you look at former Oregon, I'm, I'm going to do it anyways. <laughs> you look at former <laughs> Oregon running backs, and they were guys who could bail the offense out on third and plus 10, right? Yeah. And I didn't see that enough from C.J. Verdell. We saw it in the passing game, but I didn't see enough in the running game where he was able to bail the offense out, even on third and plus five, right? Well, and, and, yeah, I know I, that I, I couldn't. Dispute that because I think Oregon's ability to rack up twenty, you know, fifteen to twenty yard rushes was much, much with that that number. I don't know what it is off the top of my head. I know it's out there somewhere, um, much lower than it was in previous seasons. And Verdell, great between the tackles, a good power runner. And probably this part of this is, is based upon how the offense operates. I was just gonna say it's probably unfair to also compare offenses because entirely. But yeah, his production in that in that regard probably wasn't what you'd, you'd like. Right. Uh, number thirteen, uh, Lana Apello. The player most underrated, in my opinion. I think he's a top five guy. Um, I had him in the top ten. Um, I, I look at Apello's numbers, and um, this is a guy that... Look, and I think you're pretty close in your ranking, um, but he finished the year, what was it, second on the team in tackles with 65. And that's not necessarily this gaudy number. But he missed, like... Well, he missed. Yeah, yeah, he missed three games. He missed most of a fourth at Arizona, where he basically played special teams. But I look at him and I look at the value he has to this team in terms of keeping the the team together, uh, and the leadership factor, um, the chemistry factor. I think this was probably a, a top five, maybe a top ten player uh, on Oregon's roster. A very, very talented guy that. If he simply was just four inches taller, we'd be talking about a first-round NFL right. draft pick. He'd be a fantastic, yeah, and he would certainly be an NFL guy. And and maybe his heart will carry him, and he'll be you know some sort of um, 
some sort of special teams player. It's, it's weird uh, at his size. I don't know exactly how that translates. Maybe he's right. just a full-on special teams guy at the next level if he gets a look. But um, I agree. I had him 10th on my list. <clears throat> I, if, if you would have argued with Three me. Three spots higher. I mean, it's, if you it's not that. I was going to say, if you would have argued with me, you could have convinced me yeah. that he was 6th or 7th or something like that. I, I thought he was very valuable. And, again, if, if he played all the season, he would have probably racked up close to 85, 90 tackles. So, uh, so I think he's a hard guy to rank, though, in part because – he missed three games this season, and then also because he had the physical limitations, he's not, you said talent was one of your kind of indicators, not the most talented guy. No. Not the biggest, most physically imposing guy, but a product, a very productive player and a, and a really good locker room team guy. A guy that if you could clone 11 of them and put them out in the field, you would do, you'd, you'd do it in a heartbeat. Right. Yeah, my, my reasoning for him being that 13th is just great run stopper. He was a liability in coverage at times. Yes. That's, 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 you know, that's a very good point. Against against bigger receivers, like yeah, I look back to the Stanford game, I could Yeah, they went to the tight end quite three often. Or, yeah, three or four times where he was in position every single time. Yep. It was just that size limitation that he couldn't make the play. Uh, checking in at number 12 was uh, Javon Holland. At 11, Jordan Scott. And then at number 10, Jalen uh, Jelks. Let's kind of look at these three guys together. Um, Javon Holland was a guy that came into Oregon with a lot of expectations, and I think exceeded those. Very smart player. I think Oregon feels pretty good now mm-hmm. um, at, at one spot at safety for the next three years. Maybe maybe two, because he, he probably will have an opportunity to go pro. Um, Jordan Scott did Jordan Scott things. He doesn't get a lot of uh, notoriety and doesn't get a lot of mention in the box score because he plays a position where it's very difficult to make plays. Uh, at nose tackle, had 29 tackles, three and a half sack, uh, three and a half tackles for loss, and one sack, um, one quarterback hurry. Uh, and then Jalen Jelks, uh, this was one that I probably would agree a lot with. I think the average fan looks at Jalen Jelks and probably will say he that. Well, I was gonna, I was gonna dog him here. Oh, that <laughs> Jalen Jelks played, you know, significantly better. Um, I think he he was really good. He was solid. 57 tackles, seven and a half tackles for loss. Three and a half sacks, five quarterback hurries, very good numbers. But I think what hurts him was he's playing out of position. He's not going to play defensive yeah. end in, call, in the NFL. He's going to play an outside linebacker. Or if he does play DN, it's going to be in a 4-3 defense and not a 3-4. And frankly, order. I was surprised we didn't see – they practiced that a lot. Yeah. Jokes was basically I – mean, we watched – I think it was every, basically every practice all season in fall, and, and he was like almost exclusively when they ran their like 11 package or they're just showing who's out there, he was ex- almost exclusively outside linebacker. So – the fact that he, and I know he played there a little bit, but I, I agree. I think that's going to be his best spot. If I was ranking this, I'd probably, and, and I, by the way, I only had uh, Jordan Scott in my top ten. I did not have Jelks or Holland rated. But if I if I were to do it, I would have had Scott, Holland, and Jelks in that order probably um, because I, I think Scott is extremely valuable, and I think Holland made more plays than Jelks did. And uh, obviously Jelks was, I think, the only first-team all-conference player on this roster. Yeah. Um, I, I, which was an odd selection. Which I thought was kind of an odd selection. Yeah. I, I agree. I think I, I probably would have had him 10 to 13, somewhere in that range, or maybe a little bit lower. But I, I think some of that comes off of he had a fantastic junior season. The production was huge. Those numbers didn't quite come together this year. I do think of the players that we've talked about on this list so far, and maybe everyone on this list minus Justin Herbert and a couple of these offensive linemen, probably does have the highest NFL ceiling, though. Yep. Uh, number nine, Thomas Graham, sophomore cornerback. Um, this is a guy I think got dogged unfairly by the fans on the uh, uh, of Oregon because he finished what was it one two three four sixth on the team in tackles with fifty six forty seven of those are unassisted tackles. Out there on an island. Uh, I mean that is in, that is very impressive. 
Uh, don't don't have the missed totals tackle numbers, but I I can't imagine it's very high um, for Thomas Graham. He had four and a half tackles for loss. He had one sack, three interceptions for 38 yards. He did not score a touchdown. I don't believe. Yeah. Or he did. Yeah, against Oregon against Oregon State. Yeah. Uh, he had 18 pass breakups, which was second most in the Pac-12 and conference. It's like, it's like top five in the program history. By the way. Yeah, he had a very very good year, and I think this is kind of right around where he should be, um, in my opinion. I think this is going to be a guy going forward. He's your number one corner option. And he, I think he's a guy who could be a, a top five player. I was just going to say that as well. And, yep. and um, with just, just really quick, because I know we're trying to get this wrapped up here quick, probably fairly quickly, but uh, I think corner and wide receiver are the two positions that fans are most readily able to criticize because they're out there one-on-one most of the time unless they're playing zone. And their inability to make a play, sometimes – a play that's almost impossible. If a quarterback throws the ball in a perfect spot to a receiver, sometimes the corner can be in as good a coverage as possible and not make a play. Um, I know I always think it's funny when I watch and I go, oh, I think the corners played really good, and then I see the comments and I was like, the corners were terrible, or I, <laughs> I'm getting texts from friends going, man, we need to get some better corners, and I'm like, I think the corners are pretty darn good. I, I don't think neither Graham or Lenore, I think they were neither of them were on the all conference team. I think that's fair, but I think both of them have huge ceilings. Well I think what you said though, I, I think Thomas Graham could be a guy next year that finishes in the top five in these types of rankings or potentially even top three by the end of his career. I think he's I think he has a really high ceiling. I, his improvement from freshman to sophomore year was incredible. That first uh, first half of sophomore year to back half of sophomore year was really impressive. Because right. yeah. that back end of the season he was probably has an argument for being like a defensive MVP candidate. I think right. he's really good out there. Uh, next on the list uh, from Alec at number eight is Redshirt Junior Offensive Guard Shane Lemieux. Um, according to PFF, he graded out as the number one guard in the Pac-12 at 82.7. Um, considering comparing that nationally, he did not crack the top 100, um, but the highest rated guard in the country is 89.4. Uh, so Lemieux is you know, about... Five, four and a half points. Not far off. He's in the conversation. Yeah, he's in the conversation of being one of the best offensive linemen at the guard position uh, in the country. And this is a guy that I, I think is going to be right around here next year. You know, somewhere in the top ten. Has maybe an outside chance of getting into that top ten, but it's pretty difficult for offensive guards. I think he nailed this one right on the on the head, Alex. Well, I actually I actually prefer my ranking of seven. <laughs> I had him significantly higher. I thought significantly more of him than you did. <laughs> no, I, I I can't really argue that rank. I think that's honestly spot spot on. And looking at the guys ranked ahead of him, who we'll get to, I don't know who I would put beneath him. To be honest with you, I think that's about about the right spot. Yeah, one thing that we might not have talked about enough this season was the fact that. The, the most difficult in terms of adjusting to the new scheme this season might have been the offensive line. Yeah. And the way they performed, I mean, that's pretty incredible with the numbers, they, the rushing stats, statistics that they put up and, and how they performed, how they graded out. Uh, just think about the, the jump that they can make this next offseason into 2019. I mean, they're still learning the scheme and adjusting to it. So that will be uh, really fun to watch. That's a really good point. Of We've made a big case about Oregon's running backs and, and the receivers and the quarterbacks and the the new offense, but um, the switch to the the style of running that Oregon uh, produced, I think that's a, a it, that's a big change for Oregon offensively. And I think that's a good point by Alec of the offensive line having to learn and, and work through that is something that maybe we need to discuss and flesh out more um, sometime down the road because it, I, I I think that's a, a very valid 
antidote to maybe why the, the run game struggled a little bit. Yeah, I would certainly expect the run game to be better next year. There's really no there's no reason it shouldn't be. They return everyone up front. They return the running backs. They return everyone. Their you know wide receivers are going to be blocking. All their tight ends come back besides Canodell. I mean, this is going to be. There's no reason the run game shouldn't be better next year. Um, next on the list at number seven, and this is a guy I would have in my top, in my top five. I had um, him. I did have him much higher than this. Um, is senior Ugo Amadi? I think. I'm not going to try and pronounce it. I, I was waiting for it. I, I apologize to Ugo. I apologize, but I would much rather just call you uh, Ugo and not disgrace your your, <laughs> your heritage your heritage and your name um, by the mispronunciation uh, that I would do. I would butcher it, and I apologize for not learning it in the last year and a half, but um, I don't want to do that this service. So uh, Am- Amadi comes in at number seven, and I think this is a guy – Every year, he got a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, from his true freshman year when he had to play in 2000, what was that, 2015, uh, he had to play He had to play for Oregon. Uh, and then they went to the, the Alamo Bowl, and he was thinking, hey, everything is going right. Everything is projecting you know, the way it should be, <laughs> yeah. the program coming in. Uh, following year, the Ducks go 4-8. And, uh, and Helfrich gets fired. Uh, and his junior year, he, he could have left, honestly, and I don't think any people would have doubted because he was from Tennessee and long ways away from home. And another thing is that he switched positions midway through his junior right. season. Yes. He went from being a full-time corner for the first about two and a half years to being a safety and, and really was. I thought he got robbed. I thought he was, a you know, and, and I of course, I cover Oregon. I watch Oregon's games. I don't watch Taylor Rapp at Washington. I don't watch a lot of these other guys as regularly, obviously. But I thought he was should have at least been on a first or second team at safety. He was an honorable mention, um, which I thought was I thought was wrong. I had him third on my ranking. I thought, you know, you can I, I also kind of included his return, you know, production as well because he was I believe he had the best return average in the Pac twelve. I know he had two touchdowns that were non offensive, which I ninety percent is is the most of anyone in the conference this year. So I thought he was highly valuable. He was a playmaker on defense. He was a pretty sure tackler. He was certainly a leader out there with Talk about that secondary. The guy's playing around him. Everyone else is a sophomore or a freshman. I thought, um, you know, in a group that was a lot of, relied a lot on youth, he was kind of that senior voice. I thought he was a big-time player. And, again, I, I had him third. So quibble a little bit. I think he certainly drew through that conversation. Well, and to be honest, you know, I, I hate to go back on my rankings, but after I published these, I was like, ooh, Amadi's way too low. I, I would have for <laughs> yeah. sure at least had him at five. Probably bumped Justin Herbert and Panay back, who's a little pre Yeah, year. number six and number five. Uh Justin Herbert at number six and Penny Sewell at number five. I am a hundred percent with you on Sewell. I I think he is the most valuable player on this team. If, if we're not if, if we're eliminating just the skill from it and just looking at pure value to the team's success, I think it's safe to say Penny Sewell was the most valuable player um, because look at the offense with him in and look at the offense with him out. Well, just really quick. I you are you're, you're giving yeah. me the look of it. Well, I just like just like uh, Justin Herbert would be the drop off from Herbert to whoever was behind sure. him would be better. It would be more impact in the offense. But go ahead. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I don't want to get too worked up. That's true. That is true. We, we saw last year yes. the Herbert Burmeister drop yes. off wasn't great. Yeah, that's true. Um, but from an off, from anyone besides Herbert, anyone else from I, Herbert, I, I would probably agree. And maybe Mitchell, but yeah. Um, <laughs> I think I pissed you off. No, <laughs> no, no. I also I, I also didn't have Sewell on my list at all because at this point he only played in half the games. Right. 
Well, that, that, he has to be on the list, in my opinion. Sure. Well, well my the way I looked at it is I, I looked at the three conference games he played in Cal, Stanford, and Washington. I yes. thought Oregon; th- those are some of that or Oregon's best offensive games, like you were saying. Matt. Probably and three I, of their best. Oregon State being the fourth. Right, and I and I would say Panay Sewell was their best offensive lineman in those games. I mean, he was opening yeah. holes for CJ Verdell and Travis Dye that they didn't have for the rest of the season. Yeah, and and, and the, the argument that Matt laid out is is a good one in, in general. Just to you saw the difference on this offense post Sewell as opposed to when they had him for those first six games. And I think you probably even saw, even though the offense wasn't great against Michigan State to a certain level, of he was going against one of the nation's best defensive ends. And I don't think that defensive end had a single sack on Herbert. I think he had two tackles in the game. So, yeah, and, and he did. I think he got dinged up in like somewhere in the second half. So I'm not sure he finished the game. But still, I, I, I thought Penny Sewell certainly deserves to win this list. Certainly, I think, one of the front runners to be number one on this list a year from now when we're doing it Just, just to be clear, Penesul graded out in the PFF and the Pac-12 Conference as the number one offensive tackle. Okay. What was his number there? It was high. 86.0. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, 2.7 points higher than Calvin Throckmorton, who's yet to be uh, mentioned on this list. Well, I'm really quick. I also know that we haven't talked about the fact that we have Justin Herbert <laughs> at six. I just skipped over the fact that we have our quarterback at six. Um, which, which, by the way, I'm at four, so we're kind of okay. in agreement that he he probably isn't like the top guy here. But um, so much of I think his ranking is dependent upon the fact that he didn't have any receivers to catch the football. Well, and I yeah, said I in my love... ranking that it's funny that we, we you know we say he had a down season and he's still at six, right? Yeah. Or and, and not necessarily a down season, but just he didn't perform to expectations. I thought. Yeah. yeah he didn't. His numbers statistically were not as good as they were the year before that, and even the year before that as well. Um, I would love to know his numbers if you eliminated the passes that were dropped that should have been caught, or if those passes that were dropped you counted as catches for just wherever the the drop happened at. Alec and where I had, the have numbers, discussed tracking all one of day, the games. Yeah, yeah. One day we'll get it. Just where, all the drops. Where his numbers would be, because yeah. PFF at one point said at the end of the season he had about 20 drops. I, I in my mind, that seemed significantly That's low cool. off of what... I was going to think it was in the 40s, maybe. Yes. Yeah, it was bad. I mean, there were probably three drops. Yeah, there were some I games there was, five or six. Yeah, drops. I thought there was 20 in the first three non-conference games. Yes. Yeah. So. Uh, we kind of discussed Penny Sewell. He is at number five. Um, actually, we already did discuss We that. talked about Yeah. Uh, number four, Troy Dye. Uh, one of two defensive players that made... Top five in Alex's list. I, I'm curious why you have uh, Die at four, and, oh, oh, as opposed to Hollins at three. Yeah, let's just talk about both those guys yeah. together, kind of interchangeable. I thought Hollins was more of a game changer this season. I thought I thought he made more momentum plays, and that, you know, linebackers an interesting position because it sometimes it just doesn't get a lot of love, you know, because they're they're sticking to their assignments. And you look at Justin Hollins and him flying off the edge. You could just beat almost every any tackle that he played this season. I just thought Hollins had more game changing type plays. Led the team in tackles for loss. Had five forced fumbles, which I don't know if Oregon really tracks that stat. Maybe they do, and maybe it's out there. But I have to imagine that's among the most in a season. Yeah. Five's a ton. At one point, I think he had like three in the first four games or something like that. Um, I think he had like a stretch where he had maybe he had a stretch where he had three in three games or something like that. He, he I, I agree. I, I did not have him ahead of Die on my list. I had Hans at six and Die at two. Um, the case for Hans is not lost on me, though. I think you could make a really strong argument that he was the team's best defensive player, which is what you said um, this season. And, you know, you look at 
the way he impacts the game, I thought he was what Jalen Jokes was last year, but better. Yes. I, I, yeah. I thought Holland's played really, really well, and a guy who I would expect to have, I don't know if he's going to be drafted very high, he's a senior, he, does he have a real position, but I think he's a guy who could be a long NFL player. He's playing in the Shrine game, East-West Shrine game, and um, a lot of the scouts there are kind of oozing and awing about his potential, like you said. Uh, very, they, they describe him as a very raw player, but could play all over the place, it sounds like. So he looks to be one of those guys that, you know, could be the typical NFL starter in three or four years. We're like, wait, I don't even remember him in college. Right. Right? Where, where did he come from? Like, where did he play? I mean, obviously, Oregon fans going to know who he is, but, um, you know, th- th- yeah. those, those players are littered in the NFL. I was just going to say really quick, because I'm going to jump to the top two here. I think his production doesn't match the reputation he has because I think he deserves to be considered one of the... I thought he should have been a first-team all-conference player. I yes, think he yeah. was um, honorable mention. I know there was some publication, I think it was Athlon, that had him on their first or second Pac-12 team. But I thought he was a guy, especially this season, who should have been considered one of the top players in the conference and yeah. just wasn't. Yeah, Holland's finished the year with 64 total tackles, 14 and a half tackles for loss. Next closest was Troy Dye at 8 uh, he also led the team in sacks at six and a half. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, the next closest was Gus Cumberlander at four, and that's kind of where that discussion with Cumberlander comes from. Of He probably could be on this list next season uh, if he can kind of finish out the season strong. Um, Dye finished the year first on the team in tackles, 115 total. Second year in a row, he had over 130 in a row. He's led the team in tackles, eight tackles for loss, two sacks. Seven bass breakups, four quarterback hurries, one interception for Die. I think Die's numbers weren't maybe as uh, impressive as they looked because he's garnishing more and more attention from offenses that are trying to eliminate him. Yeah, and he's also right in the middle of the, the yep. field there, which sort of can kind of impact kind of his production. All right, second on the list is a guy uh, that had a really, really successful season offensively, and that's Dylan Mitchell, best receiver uh, statistically in program history. He finishes the season uh, catching 75 passes for 1,184 yards, 10 touchdowns, averaged 91 yards per game. Uh, and he didn't even really play against Oregon State. And he didn't really even play against Oregon State. He hardly did anything in the non-con. So this is basically eight games and a bowl game in which he did something. Uh, very, very, very good year for Dylan Mitchell, and he's now off to the NFL. Um, curious to see where he, he lands because it's – Seems like it's been hit or miss if that was a good decision or a bad decision in NFL eyes. He was my number one ranked player, um, and I am equal. I'm also very curious to to see kind of what this, how, what kind of plays out from this. I assume he'll be invited to the combine. I'm curious to see what he runs in the forty, honestly, um, because I don't think he's going to go out there and post a sub four five. I'm going to guess he's going to run something in the four fives, maybe low four sixes, which for a guy who's six foot two is probably not going to be the most attractive thing. But you watch the film and. I drew this comparison against Cowboys. I think I saw an NFL.com analyst, you know, repeat the same comparison. I don't think they stole it from me. They just probably saw it. Um, but Keenan Allen, he reminds me of Keenan Allen. Um, and, and I, I think he's a guy who I could see being drafted kind of similar to Keenan Allen, maybe in the third to fifth round, but make a team and within a couple of seasons be that team's number one guy. I, I think his ceiling is as high as there is for an NFL, um, for a wide receiver from Oregon going to the NFL in a really long time. I mean, Oregon right. has not had a ton of those game-changing receivers. He certainly is, I think, the most impressive one they've had coming out in, in, in maybe a decade or so. Uh, in the PFF, Mitchell ranked seventh among receivers and tight ends in the Pac-12 Conference. Uh, 81.3 was his grade. J.J. Osega-Whiteside at Stanford 
uh, was the highest graded guy at 90. And he's also going pro. Yes. Thank God for Oregon fans. <laughs> and uh, LaVishka Chenault was second with 87.6. That leaves us with the number one player uh, in Alex's rankings, and that's junior offensive lineman, because I'm not going to give him a position. Because he, he literally started four different spots. The only spot he did not start for Oregon was left guard. He started at center, right guard, right tackle, and left tackle for the Ducks. Calvin Throckmorton, who I think is probably Oregon's best NFL prospect that they've had since probably Marcus Mariota. And wow. actually, just going off of that, that was my – that's why I ranked Throckmorton ahead of Mitchell was the ceiling, the NFL potential. I, I just think Throckmorton's a guy who could really – and, and Sewell probably has a I, Sewell has a, has a higher probably has a higher right. maybe I should change it to Buckner. I mean Buckner was right. probably he was a top ten pick. Armstead was like and, 13th. Yeah, yeah. Throckmorton's right. not going to get that high, but I think he's a first round pick this right. year. Exactly. And what, so that, explain more of your reasoning for your, your top pick, and then we'll. Yeah, no, I, I just felt that Calvin Throckmorton. I mean, you look at how the offensive line played this year and how they adjusted, and, and you know Herbert's not getting. Mitchell the ball without Throckmorton protecting his blind side, you know, and, and you just look at that left tackle spot and obviously Sewell's there, but how Throckmorton was able to fill in no matter what, just a week in and week out and perform at a high level was just incredible. The the Utah game to me is the game that you could really sell him being here because he's playing center. I know he was there in the spring when Hanson got hurt, but he's going to Utah in a game that Oregon needs to win. Obviously they didn't win, but I thought he played pretty flawlessly for a guy who is playing a very challenging position, especially if you don't have much history with it. Um, I had him fifth on the rankings I did. Um, I, it, like you earlier said, that you retroactively kind of regretted <laughs> where you put Ogomati. I retroactively regret where I have Throckmorton at five. I probably would have had him in the top three somewhere. I, I, mean, I think he was, he was, you could certainly make an argument he was their most valuable offensive player. Next year's top ten. But or let's yeah let's discuss next year's top ten. Obviously, Mitchell's gone, Hollins is gone, uh, Ugo Amadi is gone, and Jelks is gone. Um, if you had so you, you had to pick four guys, is that right? Jelks, Amadi, Hollins, and Mitchell. Mitchell. Yes. Four guys to replace them. Four guys to replace them. Who are the four that would crack your top four or top ten? Okay, so I'll, and we're using Alex's top ten list. Um, I'm going to start with one that's probably a bit of a reach, but I'm going to go Kayvon Thibodeau because I think a talent of that magnitude, he could come in and have a huge season, and I wouldn't be shocked at all if he's like leads the team in sacks and tackles for loss next year. Um, another guy that I like uh, would be Jordan Scott, who I already had in my top ten. I think he's going to be around that spot. He's 11th here. J- Javon Holland at 12th would probably, to me, be another logical pick, and then probably something to C.J. Verdell because, it, well, be, again, it'll be interesting to see how the running back kind of Workload shakes up, but I think there is room for him to go out and have like a 1,500-yard season. So that, I think I'd probably go Thibodeau, Scott, Holland, and and uh, C.J. Verdell for my four. Yeah, I, I love Javon Holland there. I, I would almost look at a guy like Gus Cumberlander. I, I think he, I think he's a guy that could potentially start next year, and I, they're going to need that production. So where are they going to get? And you know, you look at Kayvon, and then you look at Gus Cumberlander. Those are two guys. Probably two guys, right? Probably the two guys, and then DJ Johnson maybe in that mix too. And that would actually be a guy that I yeah. forgot that maybe sneaks into that discussion. Yeah, I, I think he's a good pick as well. I, I also look at, I mean, just where are they going to get the production from receiver? I have to imagine one of the true freshmen, the, this talented freshman receiving class that's is really coming in. Point. I would have to imagine one of them, and it's that's more of a fingers crossed type type deal, but. 
one of them steps up and has a huge year, not a Dylan Mitchell type year, but has a very productive year and helps the offense a ton. So I'm, I'm going to say one of those four. That's a that's a good pick. I should have thought of that. That's 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 true. They, they, there should be a receiver that makes at least a case to be there next right. year, even though there's no one on the roster besides Red in the top twenty-five. Right. My my top my four guys that would enter that group is gonna it's gonna be Brian Addison at receiver because mm-hmm. I I agree with with Alec. I think, I think one point. of these receivers is gonna step up and. I, I think there's probably a better chance that a guy that's currently on the roster becomes that go-to guy yeah, and, and is consistently at that level than a newcomer. Um, I also would put, uh, excuse me, I'd also put uh, Jordan Scott into that group as well, Javon Holland into that group as well, and then um, I've gone back and forth, Kayvon Thibodeau and uh, Folio. I'm going to put Folio. Uh, at 10, but Thibodeau at 11, I know it's a top 10, but that's just kind he's of... Just right there. He's right, 10, 10, 10, yeah, eight. he's right, he's based, Thibodeau's going to be right there. I think Oregon's defense next year is going to be pretty legit um, with the talent they have coming in. Now, who would be one guy that's not on this list, that's currently on the roster, that played last season for Oregon that you would put in this top 25? Next year's top 25? Next year's top 25. I can start it off. I think, yeah, I think DJ Johnson is going to be in this list. Um, totally. He's going to replace what Justin Holland did on the edge at linebacker. He played in the in the Red Box Bowl a little bit, uh, first game of the year for him. I think he's he's going to start for Oregon, and I, I think he's going to be a guy somewhere on this list. He will be in it, and uh, he will be a significant player for Oregon next season. I, I like that one. I'll, I'll go with another defensive player. I'll say Adrian Jackson. I think Adrian Jackson has a high ceiling. I. I I thought he wasn't consistent enough this year, but that freshman and sophomore jump, I think, will improve a lot. I guess Cumberlander would be the obvious one, but I'll try to think of something that's a little bit more unique. Um, all, it's tough because there really isn't a lot offensively. You almost right. have to go defense here. Pretty much right. every offensive player was on this list already. Um, I'll, 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 I'll hedge the bet and kind of follow up Matt. I'll say Brian Addison, a guy who's on the roster, but or Isaiah Crocker. I'll say one of those two young freshman receivers who didn't really play much this season but is going to have a huge opportunity next year. Somebody like that is going to step up um, because you can't expect this team to have any passing game if, if there just aren't players making plays. And certainly I think Addison, Crocker, someone like that is capable of doing it. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed the list. You can go to DuckTerritory.com, read Alex's uh, stories on the site. Um, all, all, I think there's what four or five of them. Uh, five of them. He ranks them all 25 to one. Um, so re- if you enjoyed our discussion, you can get more information on that list by going to DuckTerritory.com. And so for Alec, uh, for Eric, and for myself, thanks for listening to this podcast, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Adios, muchachos.